President Trump is being accused of circulating a doctored video of Nancy Pelosi with the intent of showing her in a bad light. The video, for instance, shows Pelosi arriving uninvited at a baby girl's christening and then declaring that the child will grow up to prick her finger on a spindle and sleep for 100 years. Critics of the president claim that the video has been subtly modified to show the House Speaker wearing a horned blue-black headpiece at the christening, when she only wears her horned blue-black headpiece at official government functions. In another section of the video, Pelosi is shown losing her temper at a young woman and threatening that she will get her and her little dog, too. Pelosi's staff said the speaker would never say such a thing to a young woman, even if the woman did drop a house on her sister and steal her ruby slippers. Some staffers say the vid was obviously doctored because it starts in black and white and then becomes color, although Trump's spokeswoman, Sarah Sanders, says that's because the first part takes place in Kansas, and Kansas is well known to be in black and white. Pelosi herself says the video's audio has been tampered with to make her sound as if her words are disjointed and irrational. She privately told reporters, quote, the only time I have ever spoken in such a confused manner is after I accidentally parked my car in the Capitol Rotunda because I thought it was the Potomac and I was trying to take the shortcut to work. In fact, I am perfectly rational if I'm the person I think I am. And if I'm not, could you please find her and give her cab fare so I can get home, unquote. <laughs> Trump says he will soon release a new video, which either shows Pelosi summoning demons from the bowels of the earth or chatting with Chuck Schumer. It's difficult to tell which. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. You know, no conservative likes to discuss race honestly for the simple reason that if you tell the truth, the left will call you racist and you'll lose your job or your sponsors or your Twitter platform or your friends or whatever else the outrage mob can get its hands on. And, of course, it's only conservatives who have to worry about it because all the social terrorism goes in one direction. So, in effect, the left uses race as a bludgeon to silence opposition to its no good, very bad, truly terrible ideas. If a right-winger points out that trouble in black neighborhoods is sometimes caused by the behavior of the people in those neighborhoods, he's a racist. But if a leftist calls on white people who never held slaves to give money to black people who never were slaves, that's a thoughtful search for justice. If a right-winger points out that George Soros uses his billions to destabilize anyone and anything who opposes his globalist agenda, that's anti-Semitic because Soros is a Jew, though in name only. But if a left-winger calls for action that would effectively wipe Israel and its millions of actual Jews off the face of the earth, that's the peace process. And of course, if a right-winger points out that illegal aliens are illegal aliens, that's anti-brown people. But if a left-winger dumps millions of unvetted uh, strangers on a neighborhood unable to assimilate them, causing everyone to hate one another, that's compassion. It's impossible to have a conversation at all under those conditions, and that's the point. The point is, if you oppose the government takeover of your life, shut up. If you oppose the end of Western civilization as we know it, shut up. If you like your religion, your neighborhood, your country, and want to keep it, shut up. If you don't like the people in charge, you're racist, shut up. The European Union just held an election, and the establishment, the people in charge, were nearly wiped into oblivion. Everybody's talking about it, but nobody's talking about race. Gee, I wonder why. We will talk about race because we're not afraid of anybody. 
phooey on them. Uh, but first, we'll talk about bowl and branch. You know, if you sleep at night, you don't really appreciate how great your bowl and branch sheets are. But if, like me, you are awake all night, you just sit there and think, what a beautiful set of sheets and how comfortable they are, and I'm glad I'm awake to appreciate them. What makes bowl and branch sheets unique is each sheet is crafted from 100% organic cotton. That means bowl and branch sheets not only feel incredible, but they look just amazing, and they feel even better after you wash them a couple of times. I don't know why, but they do. And since Bowen Branch sells exclusively online, you don't pay that expensive retail markup. You're getting twice the quality at half the price. You will love these sheets. Try them for 30 nights. See for yourself. And if you're not impressed, return them for a full refund. Go to bowlandbranch.com today. You'll get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets, plus free shipping in the U.S. when you use the promo code CLAVEN. That's $50 off, plus free U.S. shipping right now at bowlandbranch.com, spelled B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code CLAVEN, bowlandbranch.com, promo code CLAVEN. Why not be super comfortable when you're pondering the great issues of life, like, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Hey, we got Sebastian Gorka coming on later on, uh, the silver-voiced uh, devil who now hosts uh, uh, America First on the Salem radio network. He released a video about uh, Trump declassifying some of these uh, documents in the uh, Russia, the anti-Trump investigation, let's call it. And uh, he said, this is releasing the Kraken. And I thought, there is a man who knows what a Kraken is. I would always say Kraken, but same difference. Most people think it's a kind of Trisket. Uh, <laughs> but it's not. And we will ask him what a, we were going to ask him what a Kraken is, and we'll find out. Um, so big doings in Europe, right? On I think it was Friday, uh, Theresa May, she's failed three times to get Brexit uh, passed to get any kind of Brexit action going on. And she came out and she said she is resigning, basically, as prime minister, and the Conservative Party, the Tories, will replace her. It is and will always remain a matter of deep regret to me that I have not been able to deliver Brexit. It will be for my successor to seek a way forward that honours the result of the referendum. To succeed, he or she will have to find consensus in Parliament where I have not. Such a consensus can only be reached if those on all sides of the debate are willing to compromise. Our politics may be under strain, but there is so much that is good about this country. So much to be proud of. So much to be optimistic about. I will shortly leave the job that it has been the honour of my life to hold. The second female Prime Minister, but certainly not the last. I do so with no ill will, but with enormous and enduring gratitude to have had the opportunity to serve the country I love. There's no crying in politics. You know, I don't know if, I don't know if it's a good look to come out and talk about how you're the, the second uh, female prime minister and then burst into tears. I'm, I'm not sure that worked for me. Nobody cared. Uh, why, why should people care if you're resigning a job you failed at uh, and you burst into tears? That's not really important. The people sh shouldn't want to worry about that. Followed by EU European uh, Parliament elections in which right-wing groups dominated. And this is really interesting, because if you read the papers, they basically say, well, the, the center, the kind of center-left, center-right that has been dominating the EU all these years was kind of erased. I mean, and it was. It caved in, basically. And then they say, well, it was both the left and the right. And that's sort of true. That is sort of true. But it was really the right and a coalition of left-wing 
um, parties that came in, an eco-party, a left-wing party that came in. They, that all kind of balances out, but the right came on very strong. Now, the thing about the right is the right is are in Europe are nationalist parties coming in from different nations, so there's a real question about whether or not they can work together. If you think about it for a minute, right, it makes perfect sense that if you're a nationalist, you are defending your national character, which makes it a little harder for you to... Uh, collaborate with somebody from another nation who is defending his national character. That is the history of Europe, right? They've been killing each other uh, all these years as one as one group, uh, France usually, or Germany, tried to take over the entire place, and the country said, no, we want to be our individual countries. Now, through the EU, Germany has essentially economically dominated the area. Third try is a charm. And, uh, and some of these countries, because of uh, Angela Merkel's um, governance, she let in all these Muslims, basically refugees, she let them in by in their millions. And because it's now a the EU, they can travel from place to place. So no matter where they come in, they can sweep into the entire country. And some of these countries didn't like it, especially the countries in Eastern Europe. In Britain, the domination of the Brexit party, it was something like 35% for the Brexit party, which was huge, wiping out the traditional Tories, led by uh, Mr. Brexit himself, Nigel Farage. And Farage, you know, it, sometimes the EU elections are not reflected in the local elections. Sometimes uh, the ones, the, the party that wins in the EU elections in Brussels doesn't win uh, back at home. But Farage says, look, October 31st is the next deadline for Brexit. If you don't do it, you're going to see this happen again. When people woke up on March the 30th this year and realized we hadn't left the European Union, that's when in large numbers they became ready to vote for a different party. The Brexit party is only six weeks old. Think about it in that context. This is one hell of an achievement. And I would say this, looking ahead, the next date we're supposed to leave on is the 31st of October. And that date will become a bigger and bigger factor in people's minds as these next five months go by. If we don't leave on the 31st of October, then the Brexit party will go on to a general election and stun everybody there too. So the thing is, I, you know, I'm always loath to talk about other countries. And the reason is I lived in another country. I lived in Britain for seven years. And when I moved there, I realized very quickly uh, rapidly that unless you live in a country, you don't know anything about it. You think you know, you know the facts, you know the way it's reported, but you don't know anything about it. And a lot of this rise of nationalist parties, as you can tell by the name, has to do with this unbridled Im immigration that has let all these people in, many of them Muslims, many of them hostile to the West, right? And, the, and also the reactions that people have had of the political correctness, of you're under arrest if you say that Islam is not a good religion, of, you know, yes, your daughter's being raped, but don't come here because we don't want to seem uh, to be anti-Islam by arresting the people who rape it. And that's the kind of thing that people are reacting to. And of course, the other side is saying racist, racist, racist. Is it? And is that what's happening? We'll talk about it in a sec. But first, candid Co. You know, people say to me, gee, you know, you're so much brighter and sweeter and good-natured than Michael Knowles, but he does is better looking than you are. That's because he sold his soul to the devil, and also because we let him try the clear aligners that you get from Candid Co. It is better than going to an orthodontist office because there's not as much hassle. You get straighter and brighter teeth in an average of six months. It costs 65% less than braces, which means you can save thousands of bucks. Each aligner purchase includes Candid's 
premium whitener. Candid only uses experienced orthodontists, never general dentists, and Candid makes custom clear aligners that are sent directly to your home. Each treatment plan customized specifically for your needs to help you straighten your teeth. An orthodontist licensed in your state reviews your specific case and creates a 3D preview of what your treatment and final result will look like. Candid's treatment time is an average of six months and will save you thousands compared to the other guys. You're one step away from getting straighter, brighter teeth, just like Michael Knowles. Just use my dedicated link, candidco.com slash Clavin, to learn more and get $75 off. That's candidco.com slash Clavin. And so you'll have that little bright flash of sparkle whenever you say, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A. <laughs> I'll never get tired of this joke. There's no ease in Clavin. That's the point. I just make it look easy. Let me tell you, show you how hard it is to get information, right? In the, in the East, <clears throat> Eastern Europe, which has been very defend, you know, they lost their freedom to the Nazis. They lost their freedom to the Soviets. They are quite understandably not in a big hurry to lose their freedom and their personal, their national character uh, to the EU sense of goodness and decency and Christian take all our, uh, take all our immigrants and shut up. Uh, they're not going to lose that. So they are being called bigots all the time, and they're constantly being written about as if they are basically mini Hitlers, you know, uh, baby Hitlers, all of them. So Viktor Orban is the guy in Hungary. Here's a, from the New York Times, this is not from Knucklehead Row, but it is from what used to be a newspaper. This is the New York Times writes, a friend to Israel and to bigots, Viktor Orban plays a double game on anti-Semitism. Now, I looked this up because I actually looked this article up because I wanted to know, is Orban an anti-Semite, right? Which I think is a bad thing to be, and I think it's a dangerous thing to be, but is he, right? And so they, they talk about it says, the, in late November, the office of Hungary's far-right prime minister, Viktor Orban, announced it would donate $3.4 million to causes fighting anti-Semitism in Europe. And anti-Semitism is on the rise in Europe, partly because of the influx of Muslims. We know in Germany uh, there was going to be an anti-Israel protest, and the German government said, don't wear yarmulkes if you're Jewish, uh, because that, that'll be dangerous. Great. You know, this, just what Germany needs is not uh, Jews who aren't allowed to wear their yarmulkes. But... But then they said, came out and said, no, everybody should wear a yarmulke, which I'm sure is going to happen. Uh, but but not, no, there's a big rise in anti-Semitism. People are fleeing France. Jews are fleeing France. Every, they, these places are getting dangerous again, as, you thought would, as we thought we would never see this again. So here's the New York Times calling Orban an anti-Semite. Now, Orban is very, uh, has, very, has said very definitively, I don't want more Muslims in my country. No more. We're not taking them. I don't care what the EU does, right? So it says, so they're trying to get, uh, cast him as a bigot, right? So he gave $3.4 million to causes fighting anti-Semitism in Europe. The next day, it says, a magazine controlled by Mr. Orban's lawyer devoted its cover to an image depicting Andres Heisler, the leader of Hungary's largest Jewish organization, showered with banknotes. Jewish groups across the world swiftly denounced the cover as anti-Semitic. So... And Mr. Orban refused to criticize the magazine. It's a vivid example of how the Hungarian leader has both opposed and implicitly condoned anti-Semitism. I don't know. This is what they always say about Donald Trump. You know, yeah, sure, he's doing great for black people. Uh, you know, they've got jobs. It's, things are going better. Their, their wages are going up. They're doing better than they ever have. Crime is down. Everything's going well. But sometimes he says things that I don't like, and I'm a leftist, and I get to decide what things are racist. So I don't know. You know, I, don't, I wasn't there. I didn't see the, uh, the magazine cover. But again... Orban uh, 
is a far-right leader of a country whose Jewish citizens, the Jewish citizens of Hungary, say they face less harassment than Jews in any other part of Europe. He's bankrolled. Orban has many Jewish institutions and causes, and he's drawn close to the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. But in a square that I can't pronounce, Sazbadzag Square, there is a stone memorial whose motifs implicitly played down Hungarian complicity in the Holocaust. It, sh it shows an eagle, a symbol of Nazi Germany, attacking a prostrate angel representing Hungary. Now, that's, that's what they're comparing. He gives money to Jewish causes. He's made friends with Netanyahu. The Jews of Hungary say they're safe. But there's a statue that commemorates the Nazi takeover of Hungary. Now, Lucy DeWittowitz wrote a very famous book called The War Against the Jews, in which she traces not anti-Semitism, because anti-Semitism was pervasive in the Europe of the time and apparently is becoming pervasive there again, but she traces the killing of Jews and she says it followed the Germans. It didn't happen in every country. It followed the Nazis. When the Nazis came in, the Jews were in danger. And so to have a statue commemorating the attack of, on Hungary by the Nazis is not inherently anti-Semitic. What I'm saying is this is untrustworthy reporting. I'm not saying Orban is not an anti-Semite because, again, I'm not living in the country. I'm just saying this is not reporting that we can trust. This is a newspaper, the New York Times, a former newspaper, essentially defending the status quo, which is under attack because it is trying to globalize and destroy local populations, right? I mean, it's all about these dog whistles that only the New York Times can hear because they're dogs. They are the only ones who can hear. But it's not about actions. His actions seem to be philo-Semitic. They seem to be helpful to the Jews. So it's, it just seems dishonest. So it's very, it's, it's with real care that I talk about these things. The European Union has never worked. The idea of the European Union was that if you put all of Europe together, it has... A, it has a GDP that's comparable to ours. It has soldiers and army comparable to ours, if you put it all together. It has population comparable to ours. In other words, it shouldn't be a non-entity in the world the way it is, right? So because it's all small countries, they can't compete with the Russians, with China, with us. And the idea is you put it all together, then they can compete. That's the idea. The problem is, of course, that like America, there are a bunch of different, very different states. The Italians are not like the Germans. Italy is not like Germany. The British are not like either of them. The French are not like them. The Europeans have been making these jokes and fighting these wars for 2,000 years. It's not suddenly going to go away. So like in our country, you have a choice. Either you let people be themselves or you become a tyrant. And of course, we have the left, which wants to become a tyrant, wants a powerful central government to tell everybody what to do. Doesn't matter if you live in Arkansas. You have no right to be different than the people in L.A., right? It doesn't matter if you live in, in Indiana. You are you have to obey the rules that are set in Washington, D.C. That's how you get guys like Obama telling you who can use the bathrooms in your elementary school. The original idea of the country, e pluribus unum, out of many states, out of many colonies, you, we will be one United States of America. That's the idea that's theoretically, theoretically, the right is supposed to support. In Arkansas, do it the Arkansas way. In New York, do it the New York way and live and then live wherever you please, right? But the European Union can't get that right because of race. And the thing is, is it race? <laughs> Racial thinking is so simplistic. Racial thinking is so simplistic. That's why I always love these pseudo-intellectual Nazis who come along and say, well, you know, the science of race and the science. It's, it's crap. I mean, think about yourself for a minute. Are you your genes? 
Are, do your genes set your entire personality, or does your history also set your personality? And given your history, given your genes, your actions, the choices you make. If one, if you make a wrong choice and you go down a bad road, that's going to change your personality. You make good choices, go down a good road, you're going to become a very different person. So history, genes, the things you do, the choices you make, those all work together. And you can't ever pick any of them apart in your own life, in anybody's life. We all think that our good uh, traits are inborn and our bad traits are the are our parents' fault. The same thing with race. We think that our good traits, the good traits of each race and the talents of each race are inherent and the bad traits must be because of culture. But they're all blended together and that's what's so ridiculous about it. And the thing is, what is racism? This is the question that uh, nobody ever asks, but, but I think it's really important. Racism to me is assigning moral quality to races. And I do not believe that's possible. I have never seen any, I'm not a geneticist, but I've never seen any genetic proof that that's possible. It's, again, it's hard to talk about genetics because I think a lot of geneticists are silenced on this issue, but it is also against my religion. And my religion is based on my observation of reality. I have never noticed one race being morally better than another. I have noticed in various times and places certain races uh, become the criminal class because they are treated like the criminal class and they live into that treatment. I've seen that happen, but I have never believed and never seen uh, that a race becomes criminal because of bloodlines. I just don't think that's scientific. I think it's simplistic nonsense. My religion says people are made in God's image, love your neighbor, and that's part of loving God. It seems to me that is the only true solution, that you treat each person as he comes, you treat each person as a child of God. That just seems to me Good, it seems good thinking to me. It, it really does. But it's also my religion. I also believe it, it is what God wants from me, all right? So when you say to somebody, oh, we're going to let anybody into your country, <clears throat> doesn't matter what he thinks, doesn't matter what he believes, you create a situation that if you are a simplistic thinker, like some of the thinkers on the left, you can say, well, it's just about race. He just doesn't like that guy because he's brown. But is that why? Now, I've said this before, but I think it's important to say again. In Europe, the situation is very different. European countries were formed along racial lines. Germany was for the Germans. England was for the Angles and the Saxons. France was for the Franks. You know, just like China was for the Chinese. Most countries, all countries except for ours, are cast on racial grounds. There is an argument that a person who wants to defend his country in Europe can defend the racial quality of that country and say, yes, we can let some people in, but we can't let so many people in that our race gets overrun. You know, that's not the way I would live. I'm glad I'm an American who doesn't have to think like that. But it makes sense for people in Europe to think like that. And we shouldn't we shouldn't belittle them because they do. Let me stop there for a moment and talk about I got a Helix mattress. I did not have this before. I couldn't give it a personal endorsement. Now I can. This thing is an incredibly comfortable mattress. It is really, really amazing. Helix Sleep has a quiz they give you. It takes two minutes to complete. Matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper, or like me, a no sleeper, Helix does the job. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine, and CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. It is certainly... really is the most comfortable mattress I've ever uh, lay awake on. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin, take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life or a very comfortable uh, lying awake period. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights 
risk-free, and they'll pick it up for you if you don't like it. Get up to $125 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash Claven. That's helixsleep.com slash Claven for up to $125 off your mattress order. Helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash Claven. I have no idea how to spell it. Oh, wait, no, I remember now. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So, to me, I mean, the thing is that, that when you bring in people to America, we have a right to say they should follow our philosophy. Our philosophy is easy. It's written down. All men are created equal. They have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The government is supposed to be small. The Constitution is supposed to describe what it can do. Anything it says it doesn't say it can do, it can't do. That's supposed to be the American way. Everybody who comes in should have to be able to subscri subscribe to that philosophy. We have the right to say that. You do not get a right to open our borders to anybody. And I don't care if he's brown. I don't care what color an American is, as long as he's an American. In Europe, it's a more difficult question. In Europe, it is a difficult question. Their history is so long. It is so intertangled with their race and with their culture. It is very difficult to tell uh, whether or not they should be able to defend their their racial makeup. As Americans, I find it, I find it really off-putting that they can make that argument. But an, a rational argument is a rational argument, and they can make it. My point is this. What we're really arguing about here is never really race. It's always really power. And that is why I'm so suspicious of any cry of racism against people. I think you can work out the arguments, think the arguments. I think all racial thinking is simplistic and stupid. I really do. But it doesn't mean it's not an element in what you're trying to say. You know, Vox Magazine ran an article, for those of you who watched Game of Thrones, and you saw how Daenerys, the dragon queen, went nuts and d destroyed the city because she had become intoxicated by her power and by her idea of her own decency. Matt Iglesias, a left-wing writer at Vox, wrote an article called Daenerys Was Right, King's Landing Had to Burn. And his point is basically they were opposed to having a strong central government, so she had to show them who was boss and burn them to the ground. That's the left. That is the left. When I remember I said the left is the dragon queen, they, he proved it. He proved, Matt Iglesias proved it right there. The left is the dragon queen. It is all about central government. What you are seeing is an uprising against a strong central government. The Europeans want a federal government the way we have a federal government, if they're going to be a unity at all. If they're not, they want separation. That's what the British want. The British have always been separated from the continent. They've always been different from the continent. The idea of race is, what, what I'm saying is that the idea of race is a distraction. The idea of race is a distraction. There are issues about race that we should be allowed to discuss courageously, bluntly, any way we want. The, the accusation of racism should be barred from conversation, unless the guy is actually hateful, unless he is actually screaming hate-filled words. The, the accusation of racism should be barred. We should be able to discuss culture, behavior, philosophy, and if all those things are attached to a single race, as for instance, we might say they are in Italy, uh, we might say they are in Britain, if they are, then we have a right to discuss that as well. We should not be silenced because what we are fighting for is individual freedom against a strong central government. We're going to bring uh, Sebastian Gorka on in just a couple of minutes, but before we do, let's talk about what we, we're going to talk about with, with him because all of these conversations, all these questions are made so much more difficult by the fact that we have a dishonest press that only represents one side. Donald Trump gave uh, Bill Barr, the attorney general, the authority to declassify the documents that he saw needed to be de declassified in 
making clear how the investigation into the Trump campaign, the spying on the Trump campaign, how it got started. The press has rushed to the defense of the intelligence agencies, which is an amazing, amazing thing. Here's Donald Trump. Let's just start uh, with Trump talking to a reporter. And the reporter comes up to him and says, you know, how are you going to protect uh, all the sources of the, uh, of the intelligence agencies? This is cut number three. Why should people trust the attorney general to select what to be classified? Even Robert Mueller expressed concerns about the way Barr handled his findings. Uh, the question is so false and so phony. The attorney general, let me just explain. Let me explain to you something. The attorney general is one of the most respected people in this country, and he has been for a long period of time. He's going to look at a lot of documents. Some he might find interesting. Maybe he'll find none interesting. But for over a year, people have asked me to declassify. So what I've done is I've declassified everything. He can look. And I hope he looks at the UK, and I hope he looks at Australia, and I hope he looks at Ukraine. I hope he looks at everything, because there was a hoax that was perpetrated on our country. It's the greatest hoax. Excuse me. Excuse me. It's the greatest hoax probably in the history of our country, and somebody has to get to the bottom of it. We'll see. But for a long period of time, they wanted me to declassify, and I did. So now you have the press fighting to keep documents classified so the, uh, any malfeasance by the CIA or the FBI is not exposed. Before we get to Sebastian Gorka, I just want to play one last cut. This is a cut from a movie called Three Days of the Condor, one of my favorite spy pictures. Kind of a spoiler, it actually is the last scene in the movie. Robert Redford plays a CIA agent on the run from his own people, uh, and he ends up going to the New York Times and taking... Uh, the information to the New York Times and exposing the CIA. This is every movie in the 70s and 80s. This is where the Bourne identity comes from. This is where so many C uh, movies came from, the parallax view. We were supposed to be paranoid about our intelligence agencies, and only the bravery of the courageous press exposing those agencies was going to save the country. This is the last scene of Three Days of the Condor, cut 13. I told him a story. You play games, I told him a story. Oh, you, you poor dumb son of a bitch. You've done more damage than you know. I hope so. You're about to be a very lonely man. It didn't have to end this way. Of course it did. Hey, Turner. How do you know they'll print it? You can take a walk, but how far if they don't print it? They'll print it. How do you know? See, in those days, we knew because we could trust the New York Times to expose the CIA. If it did anything wrong, can we trust them now? Absolutely not. All right, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come to dailywire.com, subscribe, and you can hear Sebastian Corkum.
Sebastian Gorka is the golden voice host of America First on the Salem Radio Network, a military and intelligence analyst, former deputy assistant to President Trump, and the author of the book, Why We Fight, which is really uh, a really fascinating book. Sebastian, you there? I am indeed. Am I talking to the dragon master lord of the multiverse? <laughs> you are. You recognize me. I, I, you know, I, my, I thought the I had my, <laughs> my clever I like guys. Thank you very much. So I heard this tape that you released uh, basically on, uh, when Trump said he was going to declassify some of these documents, saying that the Kraken was released, which I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, that you and I are the last two people who know what a Kraken is. <laughs> I thought that was and I, I, I met Ray Harryhausen, okay? Did you really? Did you old. really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he came to London. He gave a lecture at the British Film Institute, and it was a highlight of this nerd's life. It was fabulous. Oh my God! One of the great special effects artists in the in the business. Absolutely great. So, what do you mean? Why is the Kraken release because of this uh, declassification? What, why is this monster free? All right. So the the Kraken, for those who who <laughs> you know are le less than thirty years old, is a reference to Greek mythology in a fabulous film, the original Clash of the Titans with Burgess Meredith, not the garbage remake a few years ago. <laughs> uh, and the Kraken is is uh, a beast controlled by the gods of Olympus. And that video I recorded on Instagram, which has I don't know, it's it's gone viral, made the left insane yeah. because because they're really afraid um comey is, so you have two reactions comey isn't tweeting anything brennan is running his mouth off uh, ag bar is the kraken if you watch very carefully his testimony you know in it be, between having fun with these outrageous people on capitol hill he dropped some real nuggets during his testimony and the first thing was um He's not just concerned with corruption at the DOJ or FBI, uh, Drew. He is concerned with rooting out corruption across the intelligence community, all 17 parts of it. Now, this is crucial because we now know that the Operation Crossfire Hurricane, the illegal surveillance of the Trump administration based upon opposition research created by a former MI6 agent from the UK. It involved the CIA. It involved a honey trap operation in the UK trying to ensnare George Papadopoulos. Uh, the day, this is, these are the things nobody wants to talk about. The day, without Obama's permission, the director of the National Security Agency, Admiral Mike Rogers, went to the Trump Tower in New York to brief President-elect Trump that you are being spied upon. That very day, his equivalent in the UK, the NSA in the UK is called GCHQ, Gov Government Communications Headquarters, suddenly resigned with no warning. The equivalent of the NSA director resigned out of British intelligence. Why? It's pretty clear. And this is all out there. You can research it yourself. To get around the US Constitution, Brennan, Comey, Clapper were using British, Australian, and potentially Italian security and intelligence services to spy illegally on the Trump campaign. And my contention is, based upon a CIA chief of station I've spoken to, they spied on us in the White House through after the inauguration. And AG Barr has got nothing to prove to anybody. He is committed to one thing cleaning out the Stygian stables that is the intelligence community inherited after uh, Barack Obama. Your, so your thesis, your narrative here, and A.G. Barr should be mentioned, started his career in the CIA. I think he was in the CIA yes. for four years. He was, a, he was a lawyer to the CIA. Yeah, so right. he's not hostile to the organization in any way. You, your contention is basically that 
Brennan or some combination of Brennan Comey slipped information to George Papadopoulos that they then used as an excuse to start an investigation. Is that what you're saying? Uh, not that they slipped information to him, but that they used the Australian government. They used the former equivalent of the uh, the foreign secretary of the Australian government, Downer. They used uh, GCHQ, the British equivalent of uh, the NSA, to spy on people like Papadopoulos, to entrap them through agents like Mifsud and Halper, to try and inject a false narrative of collusion into the campaign and thus undermine the whole election. This is, this is political espionage for the purposes of undermining a candidate and then his actual administration. And you, and you believe that Obama was essentially at the head of this? Oh. Look, do the, do the red teaming exercise. The, the U.S. Army has this thing called red teaming, where you try and put yourself in the, in the, the, the mind of the enemy. Could, could, can you imagine an operation where Brennan, Comey, uh, Clapper decide they need to surveil the other presidential candidate's campaign, and they do that without the White House signing off, off, signing off of that? absolutely impossible. And we have the text from Stroke and from Page where, where we actually have the DOJ FBI text where the lead agents are saying the, the White House has full control and POTUS, meaning Obama, wants to be fully briefed on this. Yeah. I mean, this is the insurance policy, Drew. Do you... I mean, this is, this is worse. You know, if Tom Clancy had written this in a novel, you would have said, no, that's just too much. That never would happen in America. Do you think anyone will be held accountable? Yes, who? absolutely. Who, who do if, you, you... If, you look, yeah. if you look at the, the, uh, the reputation of the Connecticut U.S. attorney that Barr has empowered to look into this, this is a guy who puts bent cops behind bars. Mm. That's what he does for a living. Yeah. You look at A.G. Barr's reputation. I, I think, look, uh, I wasn't born in America. I'm a proud American citizen. I have Americans who were born here telling me our political culture would never allow us to put a member of a cabinet or a president or a former first lady in prison. My argument is why? I, either, either Lady Justice wears a blindfold or he doesn't. But one thing's for sure. The highest level of the DOJ, the FBI, and my assertion is the CIA, individuals who have been fired or have left will be charged with felonies and they will be put in a federal dock, Drew. Wow, wow. All right, let me change the subject for a minute, talking obviously to Dr. Sebastian Gorka, whose show is America First on the Salem Radio Network. If you're not listening to it, listen to it, if only to hear that voice. I mean, <laughs> but it's actually, it's actually a terrific show as well. Let's talk about the fact that the, I know it's really early. The polls don't mean anything at this point. But we're living through one of the great economies of my lifetime, which now goes back to right. the Civil War. And we're, <laughs> you know, we're at peace. Uh, Trump has kept us out of war. Th things are going really well in this country. Trump is trailing in every poll. I mean, he's trailing Biden by huge numbers. And all right, it, I, I will take the argument that that doesn't mean anything yet. But it's kind of weird, isn't it? Is it? What is it that is keeping Trump? It's not. No. It's not, it's not weird at all, okay. Drew. What, what, happens, what happens to you if you walk down, uh, you know, uh, the, the high street in Los Angeles wearing a MAGA hat? <laughs> yeah, I get attacked, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so why would you admit to a pollster that you're going to vote for Donald Trump? You, you, I mean, think, look, pe look, you think people are lying, yeah. No, I, I, th I think they're having fun. They're not, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not admitting who they're going to vote for. Think, of, think about this one thing. 
in, in 2016, we had a monumental silent majority. Remember, I have saved the tweet from the New York Times and the Huffington Post. The day of the election, Hillary was a 93 to 97% <laughs> shoe-in. Yep. Okay, so what happened? What happened? How did he win? Because nobody was prepared to tell the pollsters, I'm going to vote for this billionaire from Queens. How could it possibly be, Drew, that the silent majority in the last two years has not expanded for all the reasons you've mentioned? We, we, our economy has never, ever been stronger. You look at the key indices going back to 1969, whether it's unemployment, whether it's uh, confidence of consumers, whether it's energy, the first time ever in our history we are a net exporter of gas and oil. There are oil companies, Drew, right now. If you've got a driver's license and are breathing, you will get a $25,000 signing bonus to work for that oil company. We are so short of people because the economy is going gangbusters. There's no way the silent, the silent majority hasn't expanded. And as such, look, a year in politics, 14 months in politics is a lifetime. Predictions are for mugs. But the idea that this man is not even stronger than he was in 2016, you have to be smoking something, Drew, and it's not tobacco. All right. Well, let me ask you this one last question then. And I always love yeah. asking you these questions because you are an eloquent and reasoned supporter of Donald Trump. You have, you have never turned against him. You've always been on his side. When you see Trump in Japan and he says uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea called uh, um, Biden a low IQ individual, and I agree with that. Listen, I'm, I'm not defending the IQ of Joe Biden, God knows. But, <laughs> but, but there, is there not something off-putting about our president siding with the murderous dictator of North Korea over one of our own guys? Uh, is he factually correct or incorrect? He's factually correct. Okay, so what matters, truth or not truth? <laughs> a little diplomacy, on, I, a little I, diplomacy. I, you're on I've a foreign read, shore, no? I've, <laughs> I've read, I've read your autobiography. The, the great good thing, truth, truth is, truth is the key. It's paramount. Is it yeah, yeah. And look, and let, let's 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 get back to politics. It's not what I'm. I had. To, it took me time to get used to it working in the White House. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to British private school, stiff upper lip, all that stuff. This was not my style. But at the end of the day, if you sit back and, and remove politics from it. There's absolutely no other way to operate. In, in a current world where 24-7 the president is called a racist, a bigot, an anti-Semite, and an agent of Vladimir Putin, the stiff upper lip, Queensbury rules, just doesn't work. This is his style. Uh, you know, this is why Jeb Bush isn't president. Wow. Okay. It, yeah. it, it, ha it had to be. This is this is the the environment we've inherited. I just worry. I think he's doing a terrific job as president. And I worry he like squashes his poll numbers uh, by talking like that overseas. You don't don't believe so. the polls. <laughs> don't believe the polls. Sebastian Gorka, always love talking to you. America First is on the Salem Salem Radio Network, uh, and Why We Fight. Terrific book. I, uh, people should take a look at that as well. Great to see you, Seb. I'll see you soon. Thank you, and check out the website sebgorka.com. Sebgorka.com. Okay. Uh, a final re reflection. I have got to play this as painful as it is. Uh, Naomi Wolf, she has a new book. It's about to come out called Outrages, which is on gay rights in the 19th century. And she contends that dozens of men were executed in, break in Great Britain for having homosexual relationships. And she said this uh, because 
there was a term in the records that she was looking at called death recorded. And she goes on the BBC, and unfortunately, in, in other countries, the journalists actually know stuff. As someone who has been interviewed in almost every country, I will tell you, when you are interviewed in Britain, when you are interviewed in Amsterdam, you are talking to a different level of human being than when you are interviewed by journalists here. They just know a lot of stuff. And so she has these things of gay people being executed because it says death recorded, and she goes on the BBC, and this is what the interviewer does to her. Death recorded. I was really surprised by this, and I, I, I looked it up. Death recorded is, the, is what's in, I think, most of these cases that you've, uh, um, you've identified as executions. It doesn't mean that he was executed. It was a category that was created in 1823 that allowed judges to abstain from pronouncing a sentence of death on any capital convict whom they considered to be a fit subject for pardon. I don't think any of the executions you've identified here actually happened. Well, that's a really important thing to investigate. What is your what is your understanding of well, what death recorded means? Death recorded. This is also from that, I've just read you the definition of it there from the Old Bailey website, but I've got here a newspaper report about Thomas Silver, and also something uh, from uh, from the prison records that that show the date of his discharge. The prisoner was found guilty and sentence of death was recorded. Yeah, ah, but see, but the, the jury next... recommended the prisoner to mercy on account of his youth. See, I think this. I think this is a kind of. When I found this, I didn't really know what to do with it because I think it is. I think it's quite a big problem with your argument. Also, it's the nature of the offence here. Thomas Silver committed an indecent assault on a six-year-old boy. Unbelievable. Unbe you know, when I was a kid, they used to play reruns of I Love Lucy with Lucille Ball, and I couldn't watch it because I couldn't stand how humiliated Lucy would be when Ricky came home and found that she had her foot stuck in the wastebasket. Like, I can't watch... It, the movie The In-Laws, which I thought was a very funny movie, I found excruciating. I find it really difficult to watch people being humiliated. It's just not my sense of humor. I looked at this thing. I could barely listen to this thing. However... I challenge anything, anyone, to find any major statement by a major feminist that actually has anything to do with the facts. I mean, this, you know, I, like, I, what I'm saying is I take no, I don't like Naomi Wolf. I don't think she's uh, a good writer. I don't think she's, uh, the things she said have been true. But I don't think any of the things, any of these people, Gloria Steinem, any of them has said is true. I think that we, when you live in a society that does not elevate motherhood as the first profession, you live in a society that will ultimately disrespect women. That's what I think. And I think feminists have made that possible, and I think they should be held to account for it, but they should certainly be held to account for lies. I can barely stand to look at it. I think this is what feminism is. I actually do. I think this is representative of feminism, uh, and I just think it has been a pack of lies from the very beginning. I got to stop. Is, is tomorrow mailbag day? Oh, sorry, guys. I'm so confused by the holiday. Tomorrow is mailbag day. Get your questions in. Go to dailywire.com. Subscribe, because you got to subscribe to get, be in the mailbag. Costs 10 bucks a month. Costs a lousy 100 bucks. You get the entire year of me answering your questions, solving all your problems. Ask me. Go to dailywire.com. Hit the podcast button. Hit the Andrew Claven podcast. Hit the picture of the mailbag and ask me anything you want. Religion politics, your personal life, I will give you answers that are guaranteed 100% and will change your life for the better. Tune in and find out. I'm Andrew Claven. That's tomorrow on The Andrew Claven Show.
The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. From the foreign policy establishment to third wave feminists, fake news explodes like a North Korean nuke. We will separate fact from fiction at The Michael Knowles Show.